I would imagine that most of you are familiar with the stereotype that men don't like asking for directions, right? We, we get that. Now, of course, it's become a stereotype because there's enough, it's, it's a reality for enough guys, right? It doesn't just happen. It, it, there's there's got to be some level of consistency in which this is true to make it a stereotype. So, so women, ladies in the room, perhaps the guys in your life fall in line with this stereotype is like, yeah, we could be lost in, in the middle of nowhere, but we ain't asking for directions, right? You don't need to point fingers or if that's your scenario. But for whatever reason, some guys would rather be lost than ask for directions, right? And we kind of know how that scenario or that conversation plays out. The wife or the aunt, the grandma, whoever, whichever woman is in the car will ask, hey, you want me to put the address in Google Maps? The guys are like, no, I know how to get there, right? Famous last words, right? Famous last words. No, I know how to get there, and I'm convinced that someone will have on their tombstone one day, I still know how to get there, right? Because this is just the reality. We don't want to ask for directions. And so as this scenario plays on some two hours later, right, the guys are like, I know it's around here somewhere. And the wife's like, Do you, why don't I just plug it into the, to the map? No, 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 I know it's close, right? I know it's close. And, and here we go, right? Uh, a, pleasant, a pleasant experience, I would imagine. Now, another version of this stereotype is that guys don't really like looking at the directions when building something, right? We pop a box open, it has like a billion pieces, and we're like, I know how to put this together, right? I, I think this, this will be easy. No problem, no sweat. And the women in our lives just kind of stand off to the side like, you sure? You don't want to look at the instructions? Even just a little peek, right? And they're like, no, 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 we, we got this all figured out. As a church staff, we've uh, recently taken a few personality profiles as a, as a way for us to kind of better understand ourselves and then how we can work better as a team. And so while I am a guy, hopefully that's not news to anyone, right? My personality doesn't usually allow me to fall in line with these stereotypes that we just described, right? I kind of learned about myself, and I, I pretty much already knew it, but I, I'm all about being precise and accurate, right? Like, I, I'm too calculated and too careful to even try to figure it out on the fly. I mean, for me, ideally, I want to be right the first time. There is no trial and error. It's trial and nailed it, right? That's what I want out of life. But we all know that life isn't really like that, and parenting is a good reminder of that, right? Our kids are just an ongoing experiment, trial and error at its finest, like we screwed this up with you. Let's try to not screw it up with the second one, right? And we'll just see what happens, right? It's like life in a Petri dish with children as you're just trying to figure it out. Right? And so, because of my personality, when I don't know where I'm going, I open Google Maps immediately, right? Like, and sometimes I'll even look at a map before I get, even get in the car, right? I want to know and plan my route. And even when I'm, I'm building, right, the most basic toys for my kids, you can bet I've probably taken a little sneak peek at the instructions, right? It'll have like four steps, but I'm over here studying the map, right? Like, yeah, okay, I got this, right? And I know it's going to take more time, but I also know it will be right when I'm done, right? And I know what you guys are thinking. Wow, Derek, you really live life on the edge, right? <laughs> 
I got to tell you, though, my lifestyle is not for the faint of heart, so don't try it, right? Don't try it, or proceed with caution at best. However, you know, I do feel like I can relate at least a little bit to a character in the passage that we're studying this morning. And I'll let you know who that person is in just a little bit. The past few weeks, if you've been here with us, we've been in a series called Jesus Who? And we've been focusing on the identity of Jesus. So trying to answer this question, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And we know there's a lot of different opinions about him. If you were to ask family members or neighbors or coworkers, just say, hey, who is Jesus? You're going to get a whole bunch of different responses. The, the opinions are, are going to be uh, numerous, and they're going to be different, I would imagine. Some will say, oh, you know, he's a prophet. He's a good man. He was a great teacher. Some will even say he's the son of God. And certainly there's no way for us to address all the opinions and beliefs about Jesus in this series, or especially this morning, but, but we will touch on some of them today. And while it is fascinating to know what others believe about Jesus, right, it's, it's always an interesting conversation. This series has been about discovering what Jesus says about himself, right? What does Jesus say about himself? Week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And if Jesus is the good shepherd, unfortunately, that means we're the sheep. Meaning, like sheep, we get lost easily, we're defenseless and vulnerable, we're stubborn, and sometimes we're even a little stupid, right? As we unfortunately learned in that first week of our series. And thankfully, though, we have a good shepherd who guides us, and he provides for us. He corrects us when we need it. And he protects us at all times. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is the true vine. And we said that we need to abide in him. We need to remain connected to him. And we do that by living in obedience to him. There's no magic formula to making this happen. It's simply doing what he says. And if we do that, we will bear good fruit with our lives. Last week, Pastor Chris shared with us, he reminded us that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we talked about how Jesus is not only able to provide for our physical needs, but more importantly, Jesus can provide for our spiritual needs. He can meet our greatest need, which is to be forgiven for our sins. Today we're going to look at another statement that Jesus makes about himself. And so as we get ready to do that, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or open up your Bible app to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And while you're turning or navigating there, uh, allow me to provide you some context for the passage that we're going to be looking at together this morning. Kind of give you some backstory, a little bit of a background into what's going on around this passage While Jesus and the disciples were gathered together for the Passover meal, the Passover that we know know to be the Last Supper, they have a lengthy discussion covering multiple topics during this meal. John records a large portion of their conversation for us in John chapter 13 through 17. 
And it was near the end of chapter 13 that Jesus tells his disciples that he will be going away. Now we know because we have scripture here in hand right in front of us that Jesus is talking about returning to heaven following the resurrection. But the disciples are not too sure of what Jesus is talking about in this instance. And so let's jump into our conversation starting in John chapter 14 verse 1 and you can follow along as I read the first five verses for us. Here we go, John 14. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? I mentioned that I can relate to a character in the story, and that person is Thomas, right? I think I can fall in line with him in this scenario. In verse 4, Jesus tells them, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas responds with the question, well, we don't know where you're going, so how can you even expect us to know the way to get there? I like to imagine that some of the disciples were the stereotypical guys that we just talked about, right? I mean, they heard what Jesus was saying and they thought, I'm not sure what Jesus is talking about, but I ain't asking a question, right? I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm certainly not going to be the one to bring it up. And so maybe Thomas and I have a little bit of a same personality because he wants clarity, Right? He wants to know what's going on. He asked Jesus for the destination, and he asked Jesus for directions. Jesus' response to Thomas in verse 6 is one of the most well-known I am statements that Jesus makes. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we unpack this statement this morning, allow me to begin by highlighting what Jesus did say and what he did not say in verse 6. You see, Jesus did say that he is the way and the truth and the life. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a light. And while it's a difference of only one small word, it significantly alters the meaning of Jesus' words. Let me give you a bit of an example here. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. LeBron James is a great basketball player, right? And I'm not biased at all. These are just facts, right? These are just, these are just facts. There's no bias here. It's just facts. And you see how a few tiny letters change things, right? As if to emphasize or clarify the statement that Jesus just made, he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this wouldn't be the case if Jesus was just a way instead of the way. Now, if you take Jesus' words at face value, 
he seems to be making a very exclusive claim here. He's the one and only way to God the Father. He's the one and only way to get to heaven. Now, this verse has led many people to ask, is that really what Jesus is saying? Is he really saying that salvation is found in him alone? And the simple answer to that question is yes. Now, some will disagree. Some will interpret Jesus' words to mean something else. However, John 14, 6 isn't the only time an exclusive claim like this is made in Scripture. Other verses support this exclusive interpretation of John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, you put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, you follow him with your whole life and you believe scripture to be true, then as a Bible-believing follower of Jesus, we believe that God has revealed himself only in Jesus. And therefore, all other religions are incomplete, misleading, and false. It kind of makes you feel uncomfortable a little bit, doesn't it? Right? People don't like to hear that very much. And so we ask this question, well, well, how do people respond to such an exclusive claim made by Jesus and his followers? You see, in my experience, once, once people hear what I believe, that, that Jesus is the only way, they can't wait to praise my wisdom and my loving spirit and my compassion and my open-mindedness. I mean, really, it's just like this, this outpouring, this overwhelming sense of, of love and affection toward me when I share my, my views about who Jesus is and how we get to heaven. And I'm sure you all have experienced the exact same thing, right? <laughs> not quite. You see, in reality, the response is not always the most positive. And I'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise to you. We live in a day and age when any belief that opposes someone's lifestyle or is deemed exclusive is not going to sit well with people. I was listening to talk radio this week, which, by the way, I've heard makes me a real adult, right? That's just fascinating how that works. Once you start listening to talk radio, I've been told, you're a real adult. So I've, I've reached that milestone in my life, right? So I'm, I'm listening to talk radio this week, and, and I heard about a preschool in Maryland that outlawed the term best friend because it was too exclusive. Their kids also get trophies for being in last place in tournaments, by the way. Just, just a little tidbit there. This is the world we live in, though, right? This is the world we live in. We live in a society that celebrates relativism, 
the claim that there are no absolute truths. Meaning, as my buddy Phil said, there is nothing that is true at all times, in all places, for all people. All truth is relative. It's why people say, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. And all you need to do is respond, well, what if my truth says yours is a lie, right? That's all you have to do to shut that down. Or if anybody says, hey, there are no absolute truths, you've got to ask, is that true, right? That's all you got to do. Is, 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 but isn't that an absolute truth, right? But this is the world we live in. We live in a society that celebrates tolerance, the acceptance, of, uh, the acceptance of all opinions, beliefs, and practices without critical judgment. In his book, Christ Among Other Gods, Erwin Lutzer writes, we have moved from the conviction that everyone has a right to his own opinions to the notion that every opinion is equally right. And so when presented with an exclusive claim to be that Jesus is the only way to God, there is almost always pushback. At times, that pushback can be fairly aggressive. However, it was a subtle form of pushback that caught my eye a few years ago. Perhaps you've seen the coexist bumper stickers while driving around town, right? I'm sure you've seen them. There's a few different versions of this sticker. Generally, they include a few or various religious symbols to spell the word coexist. And if nothing else, you got to give it to them for creativity, right? Certainly, this is a clever way to communicate their message. And if you dig a little bit deeper into their movement, this coexist movement, you'll find that their message is really twofold, right? It's a twofold message. First, at surface level, right? Something that everybody can easily grab onto. It's a message of peace and love and harmony. They're essentially saying, whatever you believe, let's just get along. Whatever you believe, let's just get along. And really, that's a message that Christians can support. See, Jesus would have us respect those who are different than us. We may not agree with them, but we can certainly be civil. In fact, Jesus would even call us to take it a step further. We're not only to coexist, but we're to love those who may not share our beliefs or perspective. See, Christians, the church, should be leading the way in this arena. We should be loving other people better than anyone else. We should be working hard to love those who don't share our religious beliefs, who don't share our political opinions, who don't share our skin color. And perhaps it's time we started asking ourselves the question, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, how am I doing in each of these areas? How am I doing at loving other people who don't share my beliefs? How am I doing at loving people who don't share my political views? How am I doing at loving people who look different than I do? These are important questions. And quite frankly, I feel like the, the whole religious conversation, that's probably not a problem for us. People in the church, unfortunately, have a problem getting over the political and racial stuff. 
And we need to come to acknowledge that we all have a filter in which we see life through. Right? We all have a perspective. And other people have a perspective that they see life through, that they run everything through. It's their filter. And maybe the first step for all of us is to just recognize, hey, my filter may not be right. Or somebody else has a very specific filter for a reason. And we may not know what that is. But we need to love other people well. And I don't know that we're always doing that. The second message of coexist, while not as overt, is a message that is troubling if you're a follower of Jesus. You see, the second message is one that finds its roots in pluralism and inclusivism. The coexist movement inherently supports the idea that all religions are equal. No religion, no belief is superior to any other. No religion is in sole possession of truth. All roads, all religions lead to the same place. Do you see the problem with that? Do you understand why that can't be? You see, Jesus' exclusive statement in John 14, 6 doesn't allow for all religions to be equal. He doesn't allow for all religions to be equal. Remember, he said he is the way, not a way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. All religions can't be equal if you believe in John 14, 6. It's also a problem because the idea that all religions lead to the same place is illogical. It doesn't make sense. Now, Christians are often accused for being narrow-minded, stupid, or closed, whatever, all the other adjectives, right? But this is just not true. This is just illogical. As nice as that may sound, it's false. Why? Because at their core, many of these religions contradict one another. To prove my point, let's compare Christianity's belief about Jesus and salvation with what other world religions believe about Jesus and salvation. We're going to kind of do this in a a bullet point format. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is eternal. He He is always was and always will be. That he's the son of God. That he's fully God and fully man. That he was born of the virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. That he is without sin. That he is our savior through his death and resurrection. And that he is the only way to be saved. Christians also believe that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. To drive home these beliefs, let's check out this video. There's one name that pretty much everyone in the world knows, but maybe not everyone really knows. That name is Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the reason we have Christmas. You know his teachings. Love your enemies, love one another, and if you love me, keep my commandments. But despite knowing all of this, people still wonder who was Jesus and why is he still relevant today? In 60 seconds, here's a short version. We begin with his title, Christ. It points to the fact that Jesus was not just a man or a teacher. He's the promised Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament 
who would come to save his people, that's all of us, by the way, from sin and death. He's proof that God loves all of his children. Jesus is also the Son, or in other words, the Son of God. That's what gave him the power to come to earth, share God's teachings, and perform great miracles. His greatest miracle is giving every human being the opportunity to have life and happiness beyond mortality. All we have to do is believe in him and try our best to follow his example and teachings. Sometimes we fail, but that's exactly why Jesus came to earth in the first place and why he's still relevant for each of us today. But really, we've only just begun. So click a button and find out more about Jesus the Christ. How many of you share those beliefs about Jesus? You would say, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Well, you need to know that this video is from mormon.org, the official website of the Church of Latter-day Saints. A little scary how similar it is, yes? It's a little, little troubling. You see... All roads lead to the same place seems like a legitimate concept because at a distance or from first glance, some religions seem similar to Christianity. However, if you dig deeper, you'll find an enormous chasm between the two. And certainly this is the case between Christianity and Mormonism. Mormons will tell you that they believe or their beliefs are about Jesus are the same as ours. But friends, that is not true. It's simply not true. And their sacred writings tell a different story. The Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Book of Mormon. These books that they hold to be an equal level with Scripture, or so they say. And they will tell you, hey, all that stuff you believe about Jesus, I believe that too. And yet as you dig into their texts, you'll find that Jesus, they believe, is the older brother of Satan. You will believe, they'll, they'll find out that Jesus was not born of a virgin Mary, but that God the Father came to earth and had sex with Mary, and that's how Jesus was born. And you'll find out that salvation isn't through faith alone. Works are required. What about Jehovah's Witness? See, they believe that Jesus is created by God. That he is not divine, he is not God. Before coming to earth, they believe that Jesus was the archangel Michael. And they believe that Jesus rose from the dead as a spirit and that his body was destroyed. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that we are saved by performing good works on earth. That is not the same as Christianity. What about Islam? Muslims believe that Jesus is not God nor the Son of God. They believe he's a respected prophet of Allah. They believe that Jesus wasn't crucified or resurrected. Muslims believe that we are saved by good works, specifically living according to their five pillars of faith, which are a statement of belief, prayer, alms, which is charity, Ramadan, and the pilgrimage to Mecca. What about Buddhism? For Buddhists, Jesus doesn't even really play a role in their beliefs. If anything, he's an enlightened teacher, but he's certainly not God. And Buddhist goal in life isn't salvation, but nirvana. And their, eight path is a, their eightfold path is a system to free them from desiring anything and eventually achieve the state of non-existence. Hopefully you can see the difference between Christianity and these other religions. Now as we said earlier, we can all coexist in the sense that we can all get along. As Christians, we are called to love others well. However, these beliefs are not the same. They do not all lead to the same place. 
And due to their contradictions, they can't all be true. Don't get it twisted. So perhaps you're wondering, why Jesus? Why should I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? Why not the teachings of Joseph Smith in the Mormon church? Why not Islam and the teachings of Muhammad? Why not Buddhism and the pursuit of Nirvana? Why not Scientology? Why not any other religion or belief system? Certainly there are many ways to answer that question. However, I want to answer the question of why Jesus with two words. Empty tomb. Empty tomb. Here's a guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and then made good on it by emerging from the tomb three days after dying on the cross, just like he said he would. John 2, verses 19 to 22 says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews answered, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And if Jesus' ability to predict his own death and resurrection and then follow through on it is good enough for the belief of those who are closest to him, then you better believe that is going to be good enough for me to know and trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as far as I know, no other religion or founder of any other religion can boast of anything to that magnitude. Muhammad is still dead. Buddha is still dead. Joseph Smith is still dead. Charles Taze Russell is still dead, but Jesus is alive and sitting at the right hand of God. And so if we believe that Jesus is the only way to God, what do we need to do? What should our response be? First, let's remember that God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Peter makes that clear, clear that for us in 2 Peter verses three, or chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Jesus is the only way to heaven, but his invitation to be saved is for everyone who will accept it. And second, if it's God's desire that all men are saved, then that should be our desire as well. Meaning we need to introduce others to Jesus so they have an opportunity to believe him. And introducing others to Jesus is one of our values here at LifePoint, not because we think that would be a nice thing to do, but because scripture calls us to make disciples. It's our job to let others know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And every time we lovingly share the gospel with someone, we extend a lifeline to that person, and it's up to them whether or not they choose to accept it. However, as we previously mentioned, people don't often respond well to such an exclusive claim. And so how we represent Jesus and how we tell others about him is extremely important. We shouldn't shy away from speaking truth, but it must be done in love. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, it's almost certain that people won't receive the message when we fail to communicate with gentleness and respect. And I realize that sharing the gospel can be uncomfortable at times, especially in this day and age. But we need to be challenged with a question. If you weren't a follower of Jesus, what lengths would you want others to go to bring you the only message that could save you? As we've said, this series is all about the statements Jesus ma- excuse me, made about himself. However, at some point in our lives, we must all answer the question, who is Jesus? Many of you have already come to that conclusion. You believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And as a result, you've put your faith and trust in him for your salvation. And if that's you, then my challenge for you is twofold. First, as we just said, you need to tell others about Jesus. You need to share the good news that you've received. And second, as Pastor Chris talked about two weeks ago, we need to remain connected to Jesus by living in obedience to his commands, by doing what he says. For those of you who have yet to make a decision about Jesus, know that God loves you and he wants to save you. All you need to do is believe that Jesus is the way. You need to believe that Jesus died so that you could live forever. And if you're still on the fence about that, that's okay. My encouragement to you would just be to get your questions answered. Do some studying on your own. Reach out to one of us pastors on staff. There's the connection cards in the seat back and pocket in front of you. There's a box that says, I want to talk to a staff member about my relationship with God. Check the box. Drop it in the card in the baskets as they're passed at the end of the service. We'd love to get in touch with you at some point this next week. We'd love for you to do whatever you need to do so that you can know and believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for what it teaches us, God. We're grateful for what you say about yourself in Scripture. God, and I pray that that truth would penetrate our hearts. God, that we would know and believe without a shadow of a doubt that you are the only way to salvation. God, thank you for providing for your your son to make that path available to us. God, may you be glorified as we live our lives. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.